0: Amen. You may be seated. I'll have you stand in just a moment for the reading of God's word. Worship team, thank you for leading us into his presence this morning. Thankful for all of our our team here. Um, This weekend, we celebrate two important dates on our calendar, Sanctity of Life Day today. Tomorrow, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. Day Dr. Martin Luther King said, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe nor politic nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right. Two hot topic, hot button um, items in our culture that I believe that the church, we must be at the forefront between the sanctity of life, protecting the rights for the unborn and the equality of mankind. Amen. Amen. I don't think it's happenstance that these weekends coincide because every life, regardless of age, race, religion, or creed, is valuable from womb to the tomb. Melanin does not determine value. Governments, governments for sure, do not determine value and at what point a life has value because it's breathed the breath or because it's in the womb. Society, science, philosophy do not determine value. There is only one who is able, and he who chose to form us, knit us together in his image. The author, the sustainer, and finisher of life, he alone determines value. So today we celebrate, and we fight for the right, for the life, for the unborn, and we fight and stand for equality, for the right, for every individual, As Dr. King said, the time is always right to do what is right. And as he said in his, I have a dream speech, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, these words ring true today, I still have a dream. equal. And as Dr. King echoed the words of Isaiah, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for the sanctity of life, that God, we will take a stand in what has been the greatest genocide in human history. And Father, we pray for our nation for unity, that God, we would link arms one with another. And God, even though there's been so much progress made, we still still know that progress has yet and still needs to be made. And so, Father, may we link arms one with another and see you work through us as your church as we set the example in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we enter into the second weekend of Recalibrate, and I'm gonna be preaching regarding first fruits. So if you would, go ahead and stand, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter six, verse 27. I'm gonna read the last verse of verse 27, then we will dive right into chapter seven. And so um, jump in, Joshua chapter six, verse 27 with me. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame was in all the land. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. How quickly the scene can flip. One verse to the next. The Lord's with Joshua, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmite, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against his people. Joshua not knowing what Achan had done sent men up from Jericho to Ai and said go spy out the land and when the men went and spied out Ai they returned to Joshua and said do not have all the people go up uh, but only two or three thousand to go up and attack because it's going to be a cakewalk right Ai is small and few in number. So they sent up 3,000 men and they went up from there and went to fight Ai. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim. And struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water you may be seated. Talk about a time to recalibrate. Chapter 6, verse 27 ends with, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. See, church, the 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 Lord was with him, and Joshua, he's famous. He's trending at number one on the billboards at this point. He's not tiptoeing into 2022. He's walking with some confidence, walking with some swagger. He's walking like we all did into 2020, that this was going to be a year of vision and purpose. But little did we know about a germ called covid Something that you can't even see, but has turned out to be horrendous and had a huge impact upon our lives and world. And Joshua, in like manner, did not know about a little bit of sin in the camp that would disrupt the trajectory of the conquest of Israel and would make the hearts of the people of Israel to melt like water. Little did Joshua know about insignificant AI. Everybody say, insignificant AI. Come on, say it with some gusto. Insignificant AI. Insignificant AI. Who would show up in a big way. How many of you have ever done that? Come off some glaring success Everything was going really well, life is good, your fame is being noised abroad, and then all of the sudden, something so small, something like AI, insignificant AI, showed up and life had to be recalibrated something so small that turned out to be a force to be reckoned with. The the, the army, the generals of the army told Joshua, this is going to be a cakewalk, right? Don't send everybody up there. And so they go up and then they come home running with their tails tucked between their legs, causing for massive recalibration. See, we've all been there in life where AI has showed up when everything was going Well, AI, even though it was small. AI, even though it's only a two letter word. AI, even though it stands for artificial intelligence, like it's not even real, AI shows up and causes our lives to have to be recalibrated. See, God allows seemingly small and insignificant things to recalibrate our lives to His plan and to His path. Church, because there is only one way to which our lives must be calibrated. God's way. Jesus said, I am the way and no one comes to the Father but through me. Church, there is only one way, one path, one place that leads to the Father. And our lives must calibrate to the path of his choosing. And this is exactly where Israel is at this point, the point of recalibration. See, the children of Israel had left Egypt 40 years beforehand and what should have taken 40 days took 40 years see if we are hard-headed and don't do things God's way the short journey the short journey that God intended it to be can turn out into the long journey when we allow fear to fuel us rather than allowing faith to lead us we end up spending our days in the wilderness We cannot sail by the winds of fear. We must sail by the winds of faith. Amen? We must trust that our God is faithful. Why 40 years? Because Israel, they feared the giants more than they had faith in their God. How often do we live in the wilderness of fear? We we say, what what if we fail? What if we fail? What, what, what if it doesn't turn out to, to like we thought it should be? What if things don't come into being like we thought they would be? What, 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 what will people think of me if we fail? You see, church, fear will cause us to settle and to wander in the wilderness. Fear will cause us to go around the Red Sea, whereas faith will drive us through the midst of the Red Sea. Faith will drive us and lead us through. I want you to look at the path of faith. Let's look at the journey of Israel in the wilderness. You see the top of the green line up at the the top of the screen. That shows where they're crossing over the Red Sea. And the orange line comes down to Mount Sinai. To where they would have um, received the, the Ten Commandments. And so this is showing the journey out of Egypt. Down into the Arabian Peninsula to Mount Sinai. Go to the next slide. They receive the Ten Commandments and they go northward up to Kadesh Barnea. And this is a period of days and weeks that this takes for them to to get there. When they arrive at Kadesh Barnea, God tells Moses to send out the 12 spies into the promised land, right? Go walk through the land. Go see the land that I'm giving you. Go behold the promise and come back with the report. And so flip to the next slide. This shows the path that the spies took. Not the whole camp of Israel, but only 12 men. See, they journey up through modern-day Israel all the way to the northern part of modern-day Israel where Lebanon would be located today. And they go and they see the beauty and the incredible layout and all of the land. They even go through Jerusalem, God's chosen city. And this is the path of faith. See, The path of faith would have led them directly into the promised land. It would have led them into a place of conquering. It would have led them into a place of victory. But they didn't choose that path, right? Go to the next slide. Instead, they chose the path of fear. And what did fear do? Fear led them due east to right outside the promised land. Go to the next slide and and zoom in. See, isn't it interesting that the path of fear, it it keeps you, oh, so close, but just a bit outside, like close enough to where we can see the promise, close enough to where we can sense the promise. We can hear the promise, we can smell the promise, and we can almost behold the promise, but fear, it keeps us locked right outside. The promised land is right here on the left of the Jordan River, but they chose to choose the path of fear, and they settled right outside for 40 years in the wilderness. Too often, we choose the path of fear. We embrace the path of fear, and we can see the promise that God has for us, and all we have to do is to step in and to enter in into the promise we can taste it we can hear it we can see it we just can't grab hold of it church we cannot live fueled by fear because the bible says the just shall live by faith without faith it is impossible to please god we must follow his plan and follow his path and so when they chose fear they stayed on the outskirts for 40 years but how many know at the end of the 40 years, God still had not forsaken them? Aren't you thankful that even in our wanderings, in our journeys, in our, our, our times where we take the path to the side, that he still does not forsake? At the end of their 40 years, God shows up. He defeats two major nations. He parts the Jordan River at flood stage. No easy feat. Incredible miracles take place to assure them that God is still with them. And after parting the Jordan, all of Israel moves across and God gives them the detail of what is about to happen with Jericho. God tells them, he says, I'm going to flatten the city. All you got to do is shout. I'm going to flatten the walls. All you got to do is shout. I'm going to flatten the walls of disunity. I'm going to flatten the walls of unbelief. I'm going to flatten the walls of, of sickness. I'm going to flatten the walls of your battle. All you got to do is shout. So many times we get preoccupied with doing God's part of the flattening of the walls and we lose track of our part of lifting up a shout of praise. When God will do his part of flattening the walls, if we don't get meddled down into all of the things that God is supposed to do, just lift up a shout of praise and watch God flatten all of the walls. That are in front of us. He says, I'll flatten the city. All you gotta do is shout. And the city was no small city. If you pull up the next slide. This is a rendering of what Jericho would have looked like at the end of the Bronze Age when God defeated it. Walls that surround the whole city. Ramparts, lower walls, ditches. All kinds of fortification that was there. Israel could have easily said, God, well, I don't know about that. How are you going to flatten that? I just got to shout, and that's going to come down? Right, they could have acted in disbelief, but there comes a point When you've lived long enough in disbelief, you're ready for things to to change, that you're willing to try some crazy things and to lift up a shout of praise and to believe God will do what he said. They tried for 40 years to do it their way. Then they did it God's way and he flattened the walls. See, before they fight the battle of Jericho, before they go in and fight Jericho, God gives specific instructions. God tells them that everything in the city is devoted to destruction, except for a few things that were to be consecrated to God. Joshua 6, 17 says, And the city, and all that is within it, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take those things and make the camp of Israel. You should focus in on that part says but if you take the devoted thing you make the camp he says but if you if an individual takes a devoted thing you make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction destruction and bring trouble upon it god tells Jericho or Israel Jericho is his Jericho is devoted Every other city that was coming up in the conquest, Israel could take, Israel could plunder, right? They could take all of it. You know what this is called? You know what this is called? That God wanted Jericho the very first thing. You know what it's called? First fruits. The first belonged to God. In Hebrew, it was called Sherem, meaning it was either devoted to destruction or it was things that were under a ban, and God is telling them that if you don't destroy Jericho, I'm going to destroy you. If you don't devote Jericho to Sherem, and you take the objects of Sherem, you become Sherem. Basically meaning this is an easy decision. We don't touch it, we don't get destroyed. It's not complicated, it's one plus one equals two. I don't touch, I don't get destroyed. So you would think it's an easy decision, but for some reason, mankind wants what mankind can't have. We see it so often that mankind longs for, mankind wants the very thing that mankind cannot have. Before sin ever materializes in our hands, it's first blinded the heart. In the garden, God told Adam and Eve, You can eat of every other tree you can eat of the fruit of every other tree but of the one you shall not eat it's devoted it's set apart it's consecrated it's devoted when Saul was conquering king Agag of the Amalekites God told him to destroy everything don't touch it don't keep it, but the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life got the best of him and it destroyed him. So many similar stories in scripture. What did sin do? Sin blinded. Sin blinded. Sin blinded Achan in this case. And God had given Israel all of the other cities, but Jericho was to be a first fruits offering to the Lord. Church, God is interested in our first fruits. First fruits was not a new concept. The principle of first fruits was about keeping faith. And the principle, it transcended faith. Time and it transcended law from Adam and Eve to Noah, that I mentioned earlier, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of these men pre law. And then Moses in Egypt, they see how God required the first from Pharaoh's household down to every household in Egypt that God was a God of the first. He required the first fruits, then to the giving of the law. Why was this? Because our first fruits they were and they are a testament of our faith. God has not changed one bit and he still desires our first and best. Joshua chapter seven, verse one says, but the people of Israel broke faith. In regard to the devoted things, Israel broke faith. While studying this, I was reading through it and I thought, Israel didn't sin. Achan sin. Israel didn't sin. Only one man, one household sinned. But from God's commandment, said when you, if you take the whole camp, become an object of destruction. See, sin in the camp brought condemnation to the whole camp. Sin in the camp... Brought condemnation to the whole camp. What does Hebrews 12, 15 say? It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many. One person's sin, one root of bitterness, it would spring up and cause the defilement of Many. Our sin can keep us and those around us out of the promised land. Our sin can keep us from victory and those around us from victory. One person's sin, Scripture says, can defile many. One person's poor performance can hurt many. How many of you remember, if you rewind back to uh, college days or high school days, group projects? How many of y'all remember group projects? Y'all a little quiet today. Get your hands up. How many of y'all remember? I hated group projects. How many of y'all love group projects? I didn't. I hated them. And in college, I had a finance class with Professor Inga Chira. And that is her real name because I'm still bitter. She was from a communist country in Europe teaching us finance. And she loved group Projects Go figure, communism, right? One project we had, we split up with our group and we all did our individual parts and then we brought them back together. And then we got a collective grade and when we got the grade back, the grade wasn't a good grade. And so I'm like, hold up. And so I start looking through the project and on my part of the project, I had an A. I had, a, I had an A on my part, but everybody else, they didn't, Right? My grade brought theirs up, their grade brought mine down. And so I said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to talk to, she was like five years older than us, so I said, I'm going to talk to Inga. And so I went into her office and I said, look, we got to talk. I have an A, they all had C's and D's on their part. I don't deserve their grade for mine, she said, too bad. I said, No, like you're not understanding. We split it up evenly and we did all of our parts. Why am I getting their bad on my good part, right? Why do I get their bad grade on my good grade? And she said, nope, that's what it is. And so dictate, I mean, Professor Inga gave me my grade. Church, we have a corporate responsibility for the decisions of others. Why do we preach discipleship so much? Why do we preach spiritual accountability so much? Why do we say, hey, things might be good for you and you can be checked out, getting all A's while your brothers and sisters in Christ can be over here struggling, getting C's and D's in life and you're over here, things are good. No, God has created us for community. God has created us for accountability to be able to build one another up in our most holy faith. And this is exactly what happens with Achan and Israel. One man's sin brought defilement. fire to the whole camp church regardless if you like it or not we have a spiritual accountability component to our brothers and sisters in Christ this is exactly what took place with Israel Israel broke faith God didn't say Israel broke the law said he broke faith our breaking of faith can have much greater consequences than our breaking of the law Our breaking of faith with God can have so much greater consequences than our breaking of the law. When a spouse gets upset and their frustration gets the best of them, it's typically a different scenario than when a spouse steps outside their marriage. Why? Because there's a breaking of faith involved. We're going to mess up. We're going to get things wrong. There's going to be laws that are broken, but there's a difference when we break faith. And this is the exact context that God uses in this passage. Israel broke faith, meaning Israel broke covenant. Israel stepped outside their vows with God. You could say, oh, but it's just, it's just first, first fruits. Those are ancient principles, Our faith is an ancient faith. Our faith is an eternal faith, and his covenants transcend time, and it transcends mankind's preferences, which is why we've got to give God our first and our best. Why is it that we often want to give God what we want versus what he asks? He don't play that game. God is not looking for what we are willing to give. He is looking for what he asks of us. Which is why Samuel would tell Saul when he took the devoted things, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. See, God doesn't reprimand Israel for the breaking of the law. He disciplines them for the breaking of faith. Our breaking of faith carries a much greater consequence than our breaking of the law. We know that faith, it moves the hand. With faith, it moves the heart. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, church, we must keep faith. What were the devoted things that Achan took? A robe. Jacket or robe from Shinar or from Babylon. One robe. I'm sure it was nice. I'm sure it had nice threads. I'm sure it was pretty. That's the first thing. The second thing. 80 ounces of silver. It's not something that's heavy or carries much weight, but 80 ounces of silver. 20 ounces of gold. Three things. Robe, silver, and gold. The value today, probably around $40,000. Or two Toyota Corollas. I don't want the consequence for two Toyota Corollas. The value of the robe, the gold, the silver. About the same cost as a 21-foot Carolina skiff Flat bottom boat that you can go out fishing in in the river and in the intercoastal. What does Pastor always say? Don't go by that boat with what's his. It's not much by worldly standards. The devoted things, I'm sure they glistened in the setting sun. I'm sure as Achan was walking through looking at the spoil and defeat, I'm sure it was wooing. And it was glistening as the sun was setting. I'm sure it looked so seductive. But as Proverbs 20, 17 says, stolen bread tastes sweet, but soon your mouth is full of gravel. Proverbs 5, 3-5 says, the lips of a seductive woman are oh so sweet. Her voice and words are oh so sweet so smooth but it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth a pain in your gut a wound in your heart she's dancing down the primrose path to death headed to hell and taking you with her sin is attractive but it will always become a dagger that will curse and will kill and before sin ever manifests in the hand it blinds the heart Worship team, if you would, come to the stage. What was the result? Death, defeat, destruction. Death, defeat, destruction. A high price for low living. Achan was stoned. His sons and daughters were stoned. His donkey, cattle, sheep, tent, everything were stoned and burned. Achan's greed, his covetousness, his touching of the first resulted in the death of his family, and the evil literally had to be purged from Israel. See, the consequences of Achan's sin affected more than just Achan's household alone, though. 36 people died and paid the price for Achan's sin. Our sin affects more than just ourselves, our family, affects our neighbors, affects our co workers. It affects our brothers and sisters in Christ. It trickles over. Number two, defeat. Israel lost a battle that should have been a cakewalk. Our sin carries great consequence. A little sin in one area of life can have big impact in other parts of life. Why? Because sin, it bleeds and it breeds. It bleeds over into other parts of life. Sin, it bleeds over and we can't think straight, we can't act right, we can't operate with a clear and a sober mind because sin, it bleeds over and then it begins to reproduce itself in it it, it, it. it breeds and when we don't devote ourselves and the first of everything that we have to God, those around us pay a high price see we declare a truce with the enemy Achan he declared a truce with the enemy and he kept victory at bay for God's people and bred defeat the third thing bred devastation devastation the hearts of the people of Israel melted like water he said oh no all the other nations are going to hear they're going to come in they're going to annihilate us They're gonna annihilate us. They feared that they would become the prey of all the surrounding nations. Their breaking of faith led them from a mindset of victory to a mindset of defeat. That's what sin does. Because victorious living, it never flows from a mindset of defeat. and Sin causes us to live with a mindset of defeat. Church, I wanna enter the promised land. I want to do everything that I can to make sure that my church family enters the promised land. Why do we preach? Why do we teach first fruits and consecrated living? Because we know that the covenants of God are a real thing. And when we keep them, he will open up the windows of heaven. But when we violate them, there are severe consequences church we are co-laborers in the harvest we are brothers and sisters in Christ and as for me and my house as for us and as for this house we are going to serve the Lord so yes we will preach things that aren't correct we will preach things that aren't popular because we believe in devoted and consecrated living unto the Lord as Jesus said we have to render to God the things that are God's we have to be devoted in giving our first fruits. And when we do, we don't break faith. We keep faith, for we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. So what do we do? Stand with me. Number one, we keep faith. We give to God. What is God? The first fruits of our time every day is devoted we give God of the first we dive into his word we dive into his word we dive into prayer we dive into worship it's not just a once a week kind of deal that we do and we check off but we give God the first fruits of all that we are of all that our time that's why we fast at the beginning of the year it's set apart Consecrated, we give God the first fruits of our talents, the things that He's gifted us with. We serve, we serve our brother, we serve our sister, we serve our church family. We give God the very first of all that we are. Then we give God the first of our treasure. Ten percent is a tiny amount to keep us and our families out of the promised land. Ten percent is a tiny amount to cause us to live in defeat. It may seem insignificant, much like the two-letter word, AI. It may seem tiny, but if we break faith, it can disrupt the flow. But if we keep faith, it allows us to enter in to His promises and victorious living. Church, it's time to recalibrate. I want us to take a moment and if you feel comfortable in coming down to the altar and pray, I want you to get your stuff and get your belongings. And I want us to enter into a time of just surrender. Time of consecration. If you don't feel comfortable, I completely get it. You can stay in your seats and, and pray, but I want us just to take a moment and surrender our lives, our first fruits, all that we are, all that we have, all that we possess. We give it as an offering un. Unto- To him. Church, we have to recalibrate. We have to consecrate ourselves to him. And so the worship team is just going to play lightly in the background, but I want us to take some time and I want us to take inventory. I want us to take inventory. I want us to look at the stock of the shelves of our lives. I want us to look what's on the shelf of our life. Are we surrendering? Do we need to resurrender? surrender Do we need to consecrate one portion of our, we're not giving time. We might be good in treasure, but maybe we're not good in time. We might be good in time, but we're not good in talent. What areas begin to take inventory, begin to take stock, and let's resurrender to Him today.